0: I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 27.
1: Thank you so much, Lena. And thank you all for being here this morning. It's great to have you with us at River Oaks. As Tara mentioned, this is the beginning of a very, very special month for us. Uh, Our first public worship service was held on Sunday, March 21st, 1999. But it really was an entire month of beginnings because we started in the first Sunday of that March with a trial run service, another one the next Sunday, and then the first public service on the 21st. I want to say a word of thanks to Tara Tuttle, her team, those who've been working with her decorating the church, planning these events. They've really done an outstanding job. So thank you so much, Tara, for all you've done and, and those who are working with you. Yeah, join me. In, it's, it's been remarkable. During this month of March, of course, we're going to culminate on March 31st with an early Easter this year. And I, I want to say just a word to you about our Easter Sunday. This is perhaps the easiest Sunday of the year on which to invite a guest to come, a guest who does not normally attend church. So I'd ask you to think and pray about a friend, neighbor, co-worker, someone who doesn't normally go to church to invite that day. We're going to add an additional worship service at 8 a.m. that day. And... Um, Obviously, to have an additional worship service, we want to have good care for children in Noah's Ark. We want to have kids rock today, but we'll have Noah's Ark. So if you'd be willing to serve that day in Noah's Ark, just note that on your ham hey, here card on your phone or paper bulletin. And we look forward to that. Speaking of your bulletin, your worship guide, whether on your phone or the paper copy, uh, there's one item in there I want to particularly note to you because of its great importance. That is the worship leader job opening. Joseph Hunter, who has served as our associate uh, worship leader under Pastor Wes Tuttle uh, for some time now, has been a great, great gift to us, but as Joseph continues his studies of computer science, he anticipates moving out of town this summer. As many of you know, our worship pastor Wes Tuttle fills a dual role as our missions pastor as well. And if you've been here long, you've seen missions growing and growing and growing, and obviously Wes's responsibilities and missions have as well. So it has seemed wise to us to think long-term, to think ahead and begin searching for our future director of worship. So ask that you would begin praying with us about that. The job has been posted if you know people who might be skilled and gifted in that area. But I wanna mention to you that our great desire is to have someone who continues the blend of expertise and excellence and humility that we see in Wes in this whole wonderful worship team. We have three values that we stress as a church staff, and those values are these. Humility, servanthood, and a great work ethic. We don't want anybody on stage leading in any area of our church who is not walking in humility. We don't want a self-promoting, self-serving person leading worship. We want someone like Wes, like Joseph, like the folks we have. Humility is of great importance to us. Secondly, servanthood. We want someone who follows the model of Jesus, who was willing to wash the feet of his followers and said, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. And we want someone in every position on our church staff with a great work ethic. As the scripture says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for men. Humility, servanthood, a great work ethic, and obviously very high level of skill and expertise to work with the wonderful folks that we have. Lastly, I'll say this. We're going to celebrate communion today the Lord's Supper, and so um, be thinking of that as our message will be just a little shorter than usual today. Would you join me as we pray once again? Father, as we're gathered in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus, our Redeemer, we are your people, your church, your body. Would you work among us today? I pray for those here who need healing of soul or body, for those who need the comfort of the Holy Spirit, for those who need a rekindling of their faith and trust in you, that you would bring that today. And I pray for any here or watching online who do not yet truly know you, who merely know about you and have an interest in you, that you'd bring them into a full saving relationship with yourself through faith in our Savior and Lord Jesus. And we pray in his great name. Amen. We're continuing our study of the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul had visited Corinth and his visit, his initial visit, is recorded in the book of Acts. The Bible says Paul went there to preach the gospel and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. A church was formed. And as was Paul's pattern, he would later write letters back to some of these churches giving Instruction, guidance, correction. Some of his letters became our New Testament books. Thirteen have Paul's name attached to them, thirteen of our New Testament books. The book of 1 Corinthians is somewhat unique in that Paul goes from issue to issue, topic to topic, addressing things that need to be corrected in the church, responding to questions that the church had sent to him. We got to chapter 12 last week and he focused on the unity and diversity in Corinth surrounding spiritual gifts. Now in the latter half of 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the unity and diversity of the body of Christ, that the body of Jesus Christ, which is his term for the church, consists of many members, although it is only one body. And we see these key ideas as we get into the latter half of chapter 12. Number one, if you're following along on the back of your bulletin, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of his body. Paul writes, for in one spirit, we were baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free." And all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, Jews and and Greeks were not normally too friendly with one another. Neither were slaves and free people. But they've been made one body through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul will later write, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Jesus, when he lived on this earth, came in a flesh and blood body. That was necessary. The Bible says he had to be made like us in order to redeem us. So he took a flesh and blood body, which he sacrificed on the cross where he shed his blood, where he gave his sinless blood. He gave his life to provide redemption for us, the forgiveness of our sins, salvation for us. And through our faith in him, the Holy Spirit then baptizes us, immerses us into his spiritual body. He unites us with the body of Christ. Now, I want to ask you to think about something for a moment. Think about this image that God chose to use for his people. The image he chose to use was that of his own body. The body. I think it's extremely significant. He calls us his body. He doesn't call us his employees. He doesn't call us his staff. He doesn't call us his team, his own body. I think this says a lot about how Jesus thinks about his own people. It's his own body. Being joined to Jesus' body is not like entering an employment contract. It's more like entering into a marriage covenant, an eternal and indissoluble marriage covenant. The Lord actually joins himself to his people eternally. Paul wrote earlier in this book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he who is joined to the Lord... And he uses language as if he's speaking of a marriage. He who's joined to the Lord is one in spirit with the Lord. Think about that if you're a believer. What that image means to him, what it should mean to you. The Lord did not choose you because of your productivity or because of your potential. He chose to set his love upon you, and his love does not waver. Let the steadfastness of his love change you. If you're a believer, you're a member of his body. As Paul will write later in this chapter, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Secondly, we each have different roles to fill in Christ's body according to, to God's design, and I would stress God's design. Paul writes, and he's speaking here, I think, about the physical human body as as an analogy to the spiritual body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. Just as God chose the arrangement of members of the physical body, so it is with the body of Christ. Individual members of the body of Christ fill different roles according to God's plan, God's design. It is God who arranged, as we see in verse 18, according as he chose. We read several verses later in this chapter, verses 27 to 30, of the diversity God has intended in his church. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church, God has arranged, God has chosen, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues, Are all apostles, or all prophets, or all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healings, do I speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The implied answer, of course, is, is no. Paul is not so much defining gifts here as he is stressing the diversity of the body and that we differ. We have different roles to fill. Now, in this list of gifts, if you were with us last week, we looked at some of the gifts <clears throat> Paul noted in, in verses 8 through 10. We talked about those nine gifts. He lists more gifts here, uh, uh, apostles, prophets, teachers. These, these are roles we might re- refer to as offices in the church. But then he notes a couple of gifts we haven't seen yet. Helping and administrating. <clears throat> Have you ever thought of having a spiritual gift of helping or spiritual gift of administrating? That is a grace gift that God gives to some people in his church. And I am immensely grateful <laughs> that God has put many people in our church with an important gift like helping or rendering assistance. I remember when our church first began and we met from March of 1999 until February of 2006 when we moved here, we met at Forsyth Country Day School in Louisville. And I can remember early on all the people who were helping and filling needed roles one day, uh, some, some new guests walked in to visit the church in the hallway there for Site Country Day, and there was one of our members. He happened to be an attorney who was fairly well-known around uh, the courthouse in downtown Winston because he was a trial attorney. And this person expressed shock to me when they saw him down on his hands and knees on the floor scraping up a little bit of icing that had fallen from a piece of cake, as if that were somehow, you know, supposed to be beneath a person like that. I think others felt similarly about a a person who was a a fairly well-known medical professional leading our setup and takedown team. But these are things that Christians do, when there's a grace upon you to help. I see this with many of you when we have our worship nights in the gym, and as soon as they end, I see people just go to work, taking down chairs, stacking up chairs, It's a gift. It's a grace from God. It's a valuable gift, gift of administrating. It's an interesting Greek word that's translated administrating here. It's rendered by some as pilotings. In fact, understand in modern Greek, the word for pilot is a related word, but when Paul wrote this, it referred to the helmsman of a ship, someone who who guided a ship to, to keep it off the rocks, to keep it on course, to avoid danger. In the church, a person with this gift of administrating might help the church have financial integrity, stay in line with IRS regulations, avoid dangers, do everything decently and in order. These are gifts God sets in his church, diversity of gifts, different people all needed to work together to fulfill God's purpose, to fulfill God's design. Where would the church be without people who had special gifts for music? special gifts for for sound and light, special gifts for working with children. Unity and diversity is Paul's call. Thirdly, Paul notes that there are no unimportant members in Christ's body. He writes, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to that part that lacked it. God has arranged the parts as he chose, as he designed, but now Paul says God has so composed the body And he uses a a different word here, the word composed, than he's used before. I was looking into the meaning of this particular word Paul uses, and and the Greek word he uses conveys the, the idea of blending or uniting. One author says it may be used of mixing paints. It's the idea of mixing things together with a specific purpose in mind. God has blended the body together. It's as if God is the great artist who blends together the members of the body of Christ just as he has the human body with a specific purpose in mind. And Paul notes God's great desire to honor members that might otherwise lack honor. It's a reminder for us never, ever, ever to look down on anyone in the church, in the body of Christ, who is less gifted, less impressive, may be able to contribute less, may be less intelligent. I was thinking of that this week, and something came to mind that I heard from a wonderful mentor in the faith of mine many, many years ago. Uh, He was my pastor for many years, Dick Little, the one who asked me to to leave my job as a sales rep to come into ministry. Sometimes I'll think of something he said to me that he probably would think I never would have remembered, but has stuck with me for decades. He was the the pastor at Ronolda Presbyterian Church. And um, there are many influential people in the church some some leading executives in Winston-Salem, the city manager of Winston-Salem, impressive people. And there was a person in the church who had a number of um, serious uh, disabilities, issues, um, that might make this person uh, less than desirable to, to be around. And I remember Pastor Little one time saying to me, <clears throat> He, this person I mentioned, that was less impressive, he may be the most important person in this church. And I knew what he meant by that. He didn't have to explain it. What he meant was that God sees, God looks at how we treat the least of these Jesus said, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. There are no unimportant members in Christ's body, and Paul makes that point. Finally, <clears throat> we're called to care for one another, suffer together, and rejoice together. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God, through the Apostle Paul, is calling us to have no division in the body and to care for one another equally. We all have a tendency to care more for people who care about us, to prioritize some people who we seem perhaps more important, maybe disregard others. But a key word here is together. We suffer together, we rejoice together. And one of the ways we do that and prepare our hearts for that is just by praying for one another. It's one of the ways we bear one another's burdens and attune ourselves to the needs of others and and viewing others in the right way with the right attitude, the right mindset, the right compassion. So Paul's focusing on the unity and diversity of the body of Christ, calling us to this oneness despite our many Uh, differences. And they were great in the early church. Jew, Greek, slave, free, but baptized, immersed, joined into this one body. It's interesting that now Paul is going to transition into the great, what many will say is the greatest chapter on love in all the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and Pastor Andrew will lead us through that chapter next week. But first, I'd like to reflect on the passage we've read today with just a, a brief personal application. Maybe rather than application, the more appropriate word is implication. Because I think an implication of the passage first is this the believer should be part of local church bodies where their gifts can be used to serve others. I think this is just implied. In the passage. We're living in a time when there is a huge disconnect between saying I have faith and having any connection whatsoever with a local church. It's one of the the interesting things that's happened in our culture, uh, not only since COVID, but even before. People blame a, a number of issues, including political polarization, but it should not be. We read in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 these words, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If you're a believer, you have a gift according to God's design, His varied grace, His great charis, these charisma, these charismata, these gifts, Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Use your gift to serve others. Peter the Apostle is saying. The implication is we should be part of a body where we can do that. Secondly, the body of Christ functions best when each member does its part. March is my favorite month of the year for watching college sports because I love college basketball. And um, there's one thing we see on teams that that do well in their respective conferences uh, and especially in the NCAA tournament. They have five people on the floor who are all playing up to their potential. They're each filling their roles. There's not a weak link among the five people on the floor. You can't have four people playing really great defense and one person slacking off. Every guy's, Everybody's got to play up their potential. And the scripture indicates the same is true of the body of Christ. Hear these words from Ephesians chapter 4. The apostle Paul writes, We're to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, that is every part, Of the body with which it's equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love in other words if there's a deficiency in some part of the body the growth is not as it could be and should be the body of Christ functions best when each member does its part and then finally Paul closes the chapter with these words We should desire the spiritual gifts that will enable us to serve the body of Christ because he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. What does he mean by the higher gifts? We talked about many of these gifts last week and touched on a couple this week. (coughs) I think the higher gifts are those that enable us to most effectively serve and build up the body of Christ. I think that's what he's calling us to seek, to say, God, Give me the gifts that you know will make me most effective in serving your people. Whether it's administrating, whether it's helping, or whether it's the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, whatever it may be, Lord. Give me the gifts that will make me most effective in serving your people and in building your body. Those who are part of Christ's body, who have embraced Jesus as Lord, are called to remember and celebrate what Jesus has done in making us part of his body as we reflect upon the actual giving of his physical flesh and blood body on the cross. We reflect on that, we remember that, we celebrate that in what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. Two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 11, we looked at the passage that you'll see on the screen now where the Apostle Paul said, I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and it said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is for those who have embraced Jesus as Lord, who are making a proclamation, I have received the benefits of his body and blood given on the cross. That's why Paul goes on to say, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, and I think you'll see those verses next on the screen. Maybe not. Um, anyone who eats, uh, let a person examine himself. Then so eat of the bread and drink the cup. Bible calls us to make sure that communion, as we're taking it, is not a mere religious ritual, but it's an actual expression of our faith in Jesus and what He has done for us. And so I'd like to take a moment to pray, search our hearts before we take communion. If you did not get one of the little cups and you'd like to participate in communion, if you would simply raise your hands now, ushers will bring those around to you and we will serve in a moment after we pray. Father, we want to say thank you that you did not leave us in our sins, but our Lord Jesus, lived upon this earth and gave his life to redeem us from our transgressions and how we thank you for the giving of his body and his blood. As we take communion today, may we take it as people who place our trust in Christ alone for our salvation. And through the taking of this holy sacrament, would you rekindle our faith? Would you strengthen us? Would you bring healing to our souls and to our bodies? Would you cause our affections to be set upon you with great gratitude? And now as we take a moment of silence, Lord, prepare us, we pray.